Welcome to the Victorious Souls Podcast with self-love coach, Danielle Burnock. Things happen in our lives that make us feel powerless. But Danielle believes that anyone can become a victorious soul by reclaiming what belongs to them, their value, their belovedness, and their God-given superpower. The Victorious Souls Podcast is dedicated to empowering you to rise up, reclaim, and embrace the change from survive to thrive as a victorious soul through the power of love. And now, here's that lady on the internet who loves you, Danielle. Welcome to the Victorious Souls podcast today with me, Danielle Burnock from DanielleBurnock.com, that lady on the internet who loves you. Today, with a special guest named Magic Barclay, and she is a multiple trauma survivor who reclaimed her sense of self and healed her body and her soul in the process also. She is the lead practitioner at the, uh, I have to read it because I've tried to memorize it, the Holistic Nature Natural Health Australia, and a podcast host because she's helping people to have a magical and beautiful life. So thank you for being with me today, Magic. Thanks for having me, Danielle. And I'm going to ask that question that I'm imagining everybody is asking. Your name is Magic. That's not really a very common name. Was that your given name at birth? It wasn't. Um I come from a Jewish-born family. I'm not religious now, but uh, last child in my generation and the only girl. So I was having some problems at school. I went to my maternal grandfather and told him what was going on. And he said, I nicknamed you Magic for a reason. Let's go change your name and you live up to it. So he actually changed my birth certificate and I still don't know how that happened. But uh, yeah, my birth certificate says I'm Magic. Wow, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> that's pretty it awesome. Is. I don't know how he did that either, but he did. It was magic. That's right. <laughs> so as I had said, you are a multiple trauma survivor. Can you unpack that for us? Because I know you had it for a long time. <laughs> Lots of yeah. different ones. So. so look, it started when I was a young child. My parents were feuding. Feuding's probably a very benign word for what they were doing. It was war. And, uh, you know, I saw the whole thing. So I had the whole, I don't matter, you know, it's all my fault. Maybe if I was a better kid, mind you, I was only three, you know, um, maybe if I didn't make any noise or something, something might change. And, you know, when you're three, you think it's all about you. And of course it had nothing to do with me mm-hmm. or my brother and uh, so we just got shipped around from parent to parent you know told by one don't do that that's the way she does it that's disgusting but told by the other one you know stripped down outside I hate those clothes he bought you you're not wearing those inside my house like they wanted to hurt each other but were hurting myself and my brother in the oh. process and of course you know hurt people hurt people as they say So that kind of left me feeling really unimportant, rolling on into, you know, early teens and and my childhood to early teens, having problems with relationships at school. So I would have a best friend and, you know, they'd get another best friend and I didn't know what to do because I had no role modelling of 
interpersonal relationships. So, you, you know, you knew, you yeah, knew how I, to have war. <laughs> I knew how to have war. Exactly. So it was all in war or what the heck do I do? You know, luckily I had my grandparents, um, my paternal grandmother and my maternal grandmother and grandfather and they were wonderful people I also had my auntie but they weren't there all the time Mm -hmm. and you know I would only get to see them when I got taken there because I was only little so you know I couldn't just run to their house and say what do I do now you know what's going on can you explain friendships can you do this can you do that and they were a lot older so you know it was very different time so I went through school kind of you know, not really fitting in, not having a a solid friendship group. I would have a good friend for a while and then I wouldn't know what to do. I wouldn't know how to evolve the relationship. Mm -hmm. So it would just disappear. And, you know, this kind of happened. The war was still going on at home, you know, by this stage obviously they were divorced, but it was still going on. And, you know, I had my big brother who had undiagnosed Asperger's, so I couldn't even go to him because I was his carer. So, How much older than you is he? He's five years older. Yeah. That's a big span too on top of that. It is. It is. And so, you know, here I go into my early teens and, of course, I think everything is my fault because I've been told for years everything's my fault. So, (laughs) you know. You told that long enough, that's what you believe. And uh, so I became quite self-destructive because I thought I have to punish myself. Other people are unhappy. must be my fault. I am a bad person, so I need to do this to myself. So I was drinking very early. I was quite promiscuous. Um, You know, I say in my bio I was vacuous because I was an empty shell of a person. I had no self-fulfillment, no sense of self to fulfill. And I thought I was just something useful or useless to other people. So, you know, I tried to destroy myself. And, Mm -hmm. you know, leading right up into my 21st birthday, my son's just turned 21, and I was recounting this story to him. And I got onto a plane, complete alcoholic, mind you, it had been for years, got onto a plane. I still have no idea to this day, 29 years later, where I went, how long I was gone for. All I know is I boarded with one alcoholic drink in my hand and I ended up a few days later in my home with a separate one right next to me. Still don't know what happened, you know. So, yeah, yeah. So there's, you know, all this self-repeating trauma going on there's all the external trauma going on and they're all different that's not where it stops of course complete alcoholic also anorexic you know everything's my fault I hate myself so much is going on in the background and so I actually met a wonderful person who I ended up working for and having a relationship with but he was about 30 something years older than me Mm. probably more than that maybe 40 years older And I just adored this man. He was the first person that treated me like a person. And he helped me find an interest in my life, which was car racing. And uh, he lived overseas. So I only saw him, you know, a few times a year. And once I got into car racing, I met an Australian person who all of a sudden put me on a pedestal. 
you know, followed me around everywhere. My wish was his command. And I thought, oh, my God, I've hit the jackpot. This guy's like the bee's knees. <laughs> I didn't know that's how narcissists draw you in because I didn't know, you know, anything about any of this. So whirlwind kind of scenario, married him, found out I was pregnant, still drinking. So I went, well, now there's another person inside me, cold turkey with the drinking, like had to stop for my baby, had to start eating for my baby. And, you know, so my life again changed. It wasn't the end of the trauma. (laughs) There was marital trauma then because I became useless again and, you know, it's all your fault again because he had his own shortcomings. I then developed more shortcomings because I reacted to what he was doing. And, you know, 14 years in that marriage, two kids later, I left and then there was the trauma of the ongoing court cases and the custody fight and, you know, all this. Look, I can say now I'm 50 and I'm really happy and I know who I am. I have a great sense of self and I'm one of these people, like me, don't like me, I don't care. It's not my problem. It's your problem. <laughs> and it took me 50 years to work that out. And, you know, I have a great relationship. Let's just pause there for a minute for the yep. audience to take that in. Yeah. It happened. You reclaimed your sense of self. You went from that vacuous thing to oh, like me, don't like me. And it, it just comes across very natural, very genuine. And so I just wanted to pause here and like put like a little flag in the ground here. See, this happened. Yeah, it took 50 years, but it happened. Well, you <laughs> like didn't celebrate you know, the win. We just won't give up. We keep going. We start from today. Exactly. And you know, there was plenty of, points in my life where I could have given up and certainly when I tried to give up there was something inside me going if you give up now they win and that was what got me through and I think for anyone going through trauma the more you play into other people's agendas right the more you need to listen to that that tiny voice in the back of your head that says if you stop now they win do you really want them to win now I'm a Taurian so I have to win full pelt and so that was what kept me going you know that stubbornness that why should you win if I feel like this and I teach my kids that now and you know they they're young adults living with me and we're all best friends and I say really you know think about this scenario if your friends are treating you like this is that really your problem Or is it their problem? And they'll go, oh, no, it's their problem. Okay, why are you moping around the house then? Come on, let's go, let's do something. It's not your problem. And so, you know, that was really important for me to learn and as a parent to pass on Mm -hmm. that stuff is going to happen around you. It's how you react and it's how you treat yourself that matters. Mm -hmm. And that was a light bulb moment for me. Yeah. Yeah, it's boundaries. That's part of that is boundaries, you know, where you end and they begin and where they have to take ownership of their stuff and we have to take ownership of our stuff. And if they don't take ownership of their stuff, that's not me to own their stuff because they won't. It's also not your role or responsibility to teach them about this. Mm -hmm. You know, I tried that for 14 years in my marriage. I tried to make this person a better person. 
But you know what? If you keep pushing that boulder up the hill and up the hill and up the hill, you're going to get tired. What happens to the boulder? It comes and it flattens you. (laughs) And that kept happening to me. And Mm. I took so long to learn the lesson. Sometimes you've got to step out of the way on the hill, let the boulder roll down and do its own thing. Yeah. In fact, all the time you have to do that. Yeah, because I love this quote by Carol Burnett, only I can change my life, no one can do it for me. And if someone wants help, like you do coaching and stuff like that, stuff like that. So, you know, if someone wants help and they hire a coach, well, then you can help them push that boulder up the hill because they want to help. But they have to do it. (laughs) It's not you doing it for them. So just pause here, listen. Do you want to do the work? We want you to do the work, but we can't make you do the work. And we want you to own your sense of self. We want you to be healthy and whole and have a wonderful, magical life but you have to be a willing participant. Exactly. And, you know, I see clients in my holistic natural health role and, you know, I'll I'll set them a protocol and they don't do it. They don't follow it through. And then they message me. I still feel like crap. And then this is happening. And I'm like, and why do you think that is? You know, I've given you a protocol. You've paid me. I'm seeing you through this. I'm coaching you through this. I don't just decide you're going to go on this supplement because I feel like it or the bottle's pretty. I've found that supplement for you for a reason. And if you're not going to do it, what the heck are you doing even on my books as a client? You know, Mm -hmm. and it took me a long time to realize that, that I couldn't do everything for everyone. Yeah. You know, like get on a plane and, you know, the oxygen mask thing. They explained that and how the mask is going to come down. You put it on your face first. I was so angry taking my kids on planes when this happened. I'm like, the heck I'm going to put the mask on me first. They're more important. It took me so long to learn that if my mask isn't on, how can I fit theirs on because I'm dead? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? like, that sense of self, again. we have to value ourselves. We have to see the value in ourselves and love ourselves. It's like if you have a garden and you pick everything out of it, then you can't give anything to anybody because it's just barren. You have to take care of it. We have to look at our lives and our souls. And like we're gardens, we have to tend our gardens. That's right. Totally. Somewhere in there, you got into another kind of trauma too. You had medical trauma. When did that happen? And unpack that for us. Yeah, that would be the worst trauma of all, in my opinion, that I went through. Like the rest was hell. This was hell on steroids. So after my divorce, lots of stress. And, you know, the reason we're talking about trauma and stress is because it does affect your body. It does affect your health. And mine culminated in cancer, Lyme, diabetes. Um, I'd had a couple of mini strokes, you know, but here I was with this cancer diagnosis. By the time I found out it was stage four, already gone to my lymph nodes. And so I had to have surgery. Now, this was at the same time as my divorce was going on. So I didn't want to do surgery. I wanted to go the natural route and I had to do surgery because the court, all the lawyers, both sides were saying, well, if you don't do the surgery, you look like a bad parent because you're not putting your health first for the kids. And I, you know, I couldn't work that bit out. I'm like, what? Me and them and like, yeah. 
So, you know, I hadn't found that sense of self. Uh, and the court was trying to tell me, you need to do this. <laughs> the, the airlines are trying to tell you. <laughs> medical science is trying to tell you. The courts are so, trying to hello, tell you. Hello, anyone <laughs> home? <laughs> but anyway, so I did the surgery. And the surgery is botched. So I have lymphedema post-surgery. Um, they cut the cancer out, but they destroyed my thyroid cavity um, in the process. They took out several lymph nodes. Um, they left me with spinal stenosis in my neck, uh, hypoxia because of the spinal stenosis. So I struggle breathing sometimes. And, you know, all these things, the lymphedema, and, you know, I went back to the surgeon and I said, look, can you kind of tell me what's going on? And, you know, the surgeon said to me, well, you're going to be fine. We do suggest chemo and radiation, but, you know, we we got what we think was all of the cancer. And, yeah, we had to move a couple of parathyroid glands. We destroyed two of them, so you, you normally have four. Um, they moved to, destroyed to, you know, she said to me, but don't worry, we we sutured everything up in your neck with dissolvable sutures. You'll be fine. I went to my GP, my general practitioner, and he said, well, I've got a notice here that says they use titanium mesh to hold the cavity in your neck together. And then, you know, down the track a year, I'm getting massive neck pain. I didn't know the stenosis was there got a spinal x-ray and I see like 150 staples looks like someone gave a toddler a stapler you know how they just go hell for leather on a piece of paper that's what it looks like and yeah it's impinging my nerves and it's in my you know pulling my vertebrae too close together hence the stenosis so I kind of had to go mm. the surgeon lied to me and to my GP there's wow. nothing I can do about this because the staples are where they are. It's too dangerous to take them out. I actually did seek that as a remedy. I have to move on. It is what it is. It's happened. I can't undo it. How I react to it matters. Yeah. And so, you know, I took myself off to um, a retreat and I had some me time and I kind of threw myself into natural health and healing and then I started studying and snowball, you know, I'm now, you know, seven years clear of any cancer and I do check it Ooh. regularly, you know, thank you with my markers. Um, and I now understand my body and I comprehend what it's doing and why it's doing the things that it does. And when something pops up, I treat it. Yes, I'm left with permanent conditions post-surgery, but like I said, I can't turn back the, the clock and I right. just have to go, that's not my fault because my my default switch is still, it's my fault. Like, why did I see that surgeon? Why did I listen to them saying, you know, it's category one, priority one? Why didn't I ask more questions? But none of that's going to help me. Yeah, none of that helps now because you can't go backwards. You can only no. go forward. I talk about a thing I call a superpower is what I call it, what you're talking about, how you react to things. Yeah. Uh, there's a guy named Victor Frankl. Maybe you've heard of him. Yes, he wrote, yes. wrote a book and he's like, they can take everything away from you, but they cannot take away from you your choice on how to respond. And so I, I call that a superpower because it, that's just so powerful. 
and no one can take it away from you. If you can highlight that to someone, you can own how where you're going forward, how you choose to respond. Doesn't condone anything from the past. It's just you're making a new life. Exactly. You know, I do have those why me moments. I know there'll be listeners out there today saying, but I have this why me, everything keeps happening to me. And I still have that. You know, I broke my toe last week. (laughs) I was like, why me? Why did that have to happen to me? Haven't I been through enough? And it's okay to have that moment. It's not okay to dwell on that moment. It's not okay to then go, well, of course that happened to me because, you know, why wouldn't everything else happens to me? And go because down you're setting the whole negative up. thing. Yeah. You're setting yourself up for the, the universe to give you the next thing. So I had to look at this and it was right before my son's 21st and I wanted to wear really cute shoes with high heels. And, you know, here I was with a busted up toe oh. and I was like, why did this have to happen now? It wasn't so much a why me, it was couldn't it have happened after the party? <laughs> like, why now? So, you know. That's just disappointment with... coming out in word form. And yeah. we need to own the disappointment. We need to own the pain, the the frustration, maybe even anger or whatever. And, yeah. and have the moment. But then let the oh, moment Oh, I had the go. moment. Believe me, my kids were asleep. They heard the moment. (laughs) We actually had no power that day. So they were sleeping in to try and waste part of the day away because they love their computers. Uh, They heard the moment. And then, you know, we had the party like a few days later and my toe was bound to another toe. And I'd been using some natural remedies on it to knit the bone back together. And it was a lot better. And I wore my cute shoes and I modified how I danced because we had an 80s theme party. And, you know, here I am, you know, a week and a bit later and feeling fine. My toe's still bound to another toe, but it's not aching. It's not throbbing. And so the the whole why me, why now, everything that happened when I banged my toe, you know, and I did have that moment like, oh, you stupid. You knew the cat stand was there. I actually banged it into a cat stand, you know, straight on while I was speed cleaning the house because the kids were asleep. Uh, You know, I had that moment, stupid, you knew the cat stand was there. Why did you do that? But it was a moment and you're allowed to have that moment. Mm -hmm. You're not allowed to dwell on that going, you know, three weeks later, my toe's still busted because I was stupid and I knew the cat stand was there. That's not okay. So, you know, here I am, my toe's okay. It is what it is. I now know slow down. (laughs) You know, life doesn't depend on that bit of dirt not being there. You know, it is what it is. And yeah, move on. And that's the whole thing. You have to move on. Yeah. And slowing down. There's something to say about slowing down. I've had to do that a number of times because I have broken a toe also. Being in a hurry. I've done other things hurting myself being in a hurry. There's a book out there. I haven't read the book, but I did like a little um, little study out of it. It's called a devotional called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I just like saying the title of the book. (laughs) The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Because hurry will 
steal things from us. We, we lose moments because we're hurrying to the next moment. We break parts of our body because we're hurrying to get somewhere else. You know, we don't enjoy our food if we hurry and eat it. I mean, hurry is, it's good to eliminate it. I mean, there is a time when it fits. I mean, I'm sure when you're late or something, but still, it can't always fix everything. So maybe I'm not sure about that. Hurrying I can think, really get you in a lot of troubles. <laughs> can, and I think we hurry through relationships as well. Mm. You know, we're expecting the the big fireworks kind of thing with, with our partners, our lovers. And then with our friends, we're expecting everything to be great. And we hurry to the next occasion that we all catch up. And then we hurry through dinner and we hurry through the chat and then we get back in our cars going home. We're like, that was way too short, you know. So we hurry through our relationships. And I think, you know, that is a very dangerous place to be because Mm. we're not enjoying the moment. We do it with ourselves as well, our relationship with ourselves. And people try to hurry through their inner healing too. Yeah. I tried to do that. I just beat on myself because I was taking way longer than I wanted to. But I had no idea the depth of the trauma I was dealing with. I, did, I was like trying to come up from the bottom of the ocean thinking I was in a riverbed. Yeah. And it was like, no, I had no idea. But just to pause here again about you have to give yourself time to heal. Like yeah. you went on that retreat. You didn't hurry to reclaim your sense of self. Can you share a little bit about some of the nice slow things you did to reclaim that sense of self that ended up healing your body also because, you know, you stopped somatizing so much. (laughs) So I am not at all a meditator. I love the idea of meditation, but for (laughs) me, sitting still and quiet, in case you haven't noticed, is not my forte. (laughs) it's always some noise coming out of me somewhere and I'm always doing something I love being busy not just to be busy but I love achieving things Mm. so going to a retreat where you're up before sunrise and you're meditating on the beach and then you know and it was a juice retreat so you can't even fill your day with eating (laughs) because we do that don't we you know and so you've got a lot of time for self-reflection and we're in these beautiful villas a few of us sharing each villa and I was like what do I do I can't eat there's no tv I don't have internet what am I gonna do oh there's a pool I'll go in the pool so I spent a lot of time in the pool by myself you know the other two ladies wanted to go shopping and I was on a budget so it was like I'm not leaving the villa unless I have to So I would just go swimming and I love animals. And I would notice the gecko on the wall and the birds in the trees. And I would just be in the pool, just looking, you know, this is cool. (laughs) And that was my slowdown. That was my meditation of just having that time to myself. And, you know, my alarm would go off on my phone every morning to get to the beach for all the exercises and meditations that we do. And one morning I slept through it. And two hours later, I wander in to the common room for the retreat and everyone's drinking their juices. And I'm like, bugger, I miss the morning. <laughs> like, <laughs> And one person there, she's un- unfortunately no longer with us, but she took my hand. She said, don't beat yourself up about missing this morning's activities. I bet that's the first time you've ever slept in. And I was like, 
it is. I don't sleep in. I'm one of these people who set my alarm for 8 o'clock in the morning thinking that's a sleep in. 6 o'clock in the morning, you know, bing, my eyes are open and that's it, there goes the sleep in. But this time I did and she pointed it out and it was like that is the first time I've listened to my body ever and just gone, it's okay. And you know what? I missed the morning things. Did that affect anyone else? No. Did it affect me? No. It's just a fact that I missed the morning schedule. Doesn't mean anything to anyone, (laughs) not even me, because I listened to my body and I had a sleep in and I had the most restful sleep that I think I've ever had. And that's okay. So it did affect you in a positive way, in a wonderful way. way. Yeah. (laughs) I love how she, how someone came up to you and said that to you. I can imagine the default might've been playing back there of the self-condemnation. I can't believe I did that. It's all my fault. I'd screwed up. And then you have this love that comes at you and says, it's okay. How did you feel in that moment when she was speaking to you like that? I didn't know what was going on. So I felt warm. I felt loved. I felt nurtured. I felt cared for. She didn't say a lot, but all that happened. But I didn't understand what those feelings meant because I'd never had them before, ever. You know. Oh, so what What? What did that transpire after that? That must have caused, you probably wanted more of that. I did. It really you know, like I said, unfortunately, she's no longer with us. But for several years after the retreat, we were very, very close friends. And unfortunately, her condition claimed her. And, um, you know, it is what it is. She gave it her best shot. And, you know, I love her for that. But, um, you know, when I came home, I wanted to learn more about me. Who am I? And I still came home and I wrote the shopping list. Who am I? I'm a mum. I'm a divorcee. I'm, you know, a daughter. I'm a friend. And it wasn't till my youngest son came along and he looked at this list and he goes, mum, you're magic. He answered the question. I couldn't answer it because I could give myself we need other all these people labels. to observe and help us to see. That's why coaching is so helpful, right? Yeah. So I said to him, "Who is magic?" And he goes, "You are." And this went on for like half an hour. It was like one of those Abbott and Costello things. <laughs> but who is magic? You are. But who am I? You're magic. Like it just kept going around and around. He was saying, "I see in you things that you can't see. I need you to open your eyes." and just one week in Bali of slowing down and this beautiful person, you know, saying it's okay, you listen to your body, that's all right. And then coming home to this little kid going, well, can't you see it? It's right there. (laughs) Open your eyes, you know. Wow. So did you do things after you came home or when did you get into what you're doing now, all this natural things that you are doing and, and you're a practitioner for like so many different things. Also, how did you get from coming home from the retreat to becoming all of this? It wasn't just magic, but you're magic. No, it wasn't. <laughs> it was a lot of hard work. 
So I felt great after the retreat. It was a perfect reset. Was it the cure? No, it was the reset button for me. Mm. So then I said, okay, I don't want chemo and radiation and I don't trust the doctors. What am I going to do? Mm. And not that I don't trust doctors in general. I need to put this out there. They had already lied to me. They had already left me feeling worse than I went in and I went in with stage four cancer. So, you know, um, so I really had to look at what are my options here? How can I do this in a way that I don't feel worse because I was a single parent with two young kids? How do I move forward with my health so that I can still be a functioning parent and not, you know, chucking my guts up on the loo every five minutes because that was an option and that wasn't a good option for me. So I really started looking at natural therapies and I had a friend who was a naturopath and, you know, she gave me a few tips and I'm like, I need to know what she knows. I need more of this. So I started throwing myself into courses and practitioner courses and, you know, fast forward, here I am, lead practitioner at Holistic Natural Health Australia and now I look into trauma and what it does to the body, not just emotionally and mentally but also physically mm-hmm. I can now see how I got the cancer and it was years and years of trauma and my self-loathing behavior mm-hmm. and my alcoholism and my eating disorders and things that I was trying to do to myself because of how I perceive things going on around me and you know none of that can be discounted when you're faced with a life-threatening condition. So, you know, I'm not saying you're not speaking, your voice gives you thyroid cancer, but it certainly had a big part to do with it because I had completely lost myself. And that's when pathogens come in and can play havoc because they know you're not going to go after them. Mm -hmm. And that's what had happened. So, you know, I love all the stuff that I've studied and I love helping my clients with it. And, you know, trauma is a big part of that. Yeah. What are all the different kinds of practitioners that you are? I don't remember. You had quite the list of them because I want people to know all the different options and that there are so many of them, even though your titles are maybe going to sound a little like long worded, <laughs> but it's not like that. I want, I just want people to, you know, explore the different options and know there's other things out there besides just going to the doctor, which there is a time to go to the doctor. I have medical trauma in my life different, but, and so I'm skittish of them, but I still go and they do good things. Some of them, some are very good, just like there's counselors that are very good. And there are counselors that are not good, <laughs> you know, so exactly. you just, do your best to do your homework. <laughs> so I'm an ICF accredited coach. So, uh, you know, it's not life coaching, it's results coaching. So someone says, this is the result that I want. Okay, I can help you find that. I can help you get there. Um, I am an innate immunity and functional health solutions practitioner. So I specialize in advanced immune. I specialize in mold toxicity recovery And I also specialize and teach other practitioners in the PNEI of trauma. And that's the psychoneuroendoimmunology of trauma. I'm just going to give you a quick example of how the PNEI works, okay? Mm -hmm. So someone says to you, 
Danielle, I need you to give a speech to 30,000 people in two days' time. And you're like, 30,000 people? How the heck can I do that? Why would this person want me to do that? Am I, you know, okay to do that? Do I have the skills? So that's the P. That's the cycle. You're having all of these thoughts going on, okay? Now, they're implanting there. And so there's actually three parts of your brain. Your first is your reptilian or um, your the base of your brain, and that scans for safety. So scanning this idea of giving a talk to 30,000 people and going doesn't feel safe. Then jumps it up to your limbic brain, the center of your brain, and this is where this P really comes in. That's where your thoughts and emotions and feelings all coagulate like a big soup, okay? And so the reptilian brain says 30,000 people doesn't feel safe. So then the limbic brain says, do you know what? You're not safe. You could be lynched. You could be, you might trip going onto the stage. You know, you could forget what you're saying. You might just stand there and nothing comes out. You might get some sudden laryngitis, like, you know, anything could happen. You shouldn't do it. You're not ready for this. And so that then starts the trauma cascade. So then what happens is, you know, you, you're there and you you start doing your talk on your PowerPoint or whatever, and all of a sudden you've got a really sore leg. Like you don't know where this pain has come from. It feels like someone's put an ax through your leg and you're just trying to do a PowerPoint presentation. This is the N. This is the neuro, the nerves, nervous system. And that's because that emotion has flowed through, that thought has flowed through, and your body doesn't feel safe. So now it's going to try and physically stop you with nerve pain. But you ignore that and you're like, this is okay, I've got this, I have to do this talk, right? So next comes the endocrine system, the E. And so what happens is you're still doing your PowerPoint, you're getting hot flashes and, like, you're clammy and you're sticky and you're, like, dizzy oh, look, you know, I don't think I can do this because I just don't feel right. But you ignore it and that's okay. Now it's the day of the talk and you wake up and you're like, I'm sniffly. Now I've got a cold. Great. You know, I can't do the talk. It's not safe for me to do the talk because now I've got a cold. That's your immune system going, I've seen this trauma cascade happening. And now I need to stop you because it's not safe getting on that stage. Wow. That's how it can work. Wow. I'd like to do a talk for 30,000 people, actually. (laughs) But I I love how you outlined it like that, the little little step-by-step-by-step thing, because people can look at something else that they were going to do. And if they can see that that pattern, they can say, oh, something's going on here. (laughs) Exactly. And is that pattern real? No. It's a perceived, you know, state of being unsafe. And really this is what your body wants all the time is for you to be safe. And you Mm. don't even know it's doing it. I'm sitting in my office now. There's bookshelves all around. I've got my banners behind me. I've got a computer in front of me. And my brain, that reptilian brain, is scanning the room every millisecond. Are those books going to fly off the shelf? Is someone about to burst through the door? You know, the window is right here. What if something comes through the window? What if the computer blows up? Like all this is going on because it's trying to scan for safety. And what we do is as humans, and 
really no other animal does this. It's it's just a human thing, okay, is we live in that but what if? Oh, no, what if that happens? What if I don't do this? What if I respond like that? What if that person doesn't like me? What if someone's saying something on Facebook about me? Do you know what? None of it matters. So what do you do as a practitioner in that area? How do you help people stop that or avoid that or whatever the proper verb is that goes in that sentence? (laughs) (laughs) So we have a number of techniques that we use, you know, everything from getting the cranial nerves, sensing new memories or, you know, releasing old memories that make you feel great. Uh, right down to particular protocols and techniques where we're coaching someone through it and we're doing, you know, an exercise releasing the energy or the trauma from the past. And there's a lot that we can do. On the physical side, we explain what these body systems are doing and we treat the immune system. So we say, well, you know, you've been stuck in this fear for so long that has contributed to this autoimmune condition. And so we look at root cause of things and that really, it all wraps into itself, into each other. Mm-hmm. And we do a comprehensive program that really does address the physical, the mental, you know, the emotional, the spiritual and the energetic. Wow. That's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. So what is the biggest struggle that your clients have? My goodness, the biggest struggle my clients have is getting out of the thought that they deserved it Mm. or that a diagnosis, This actually this would be the biggest thing. They deserve it is probably the second. But Mm. so many people come to me and say, I am my diagnosis. This is the label or diagnosis my doctor gave me. You know, I am this. And you're not. It's just a name. And it's a name given to a collection of symptoms And if you keep chasing those symptoms, the thing that caused it is still there. Mm. So then you get another label and another label. So we really do look at the root cause. What triggered this PNEI reaction? What triggered this autoimmune? You know, what triggered all of the things that happened? Wow. Fascinating. So is there anything that you want to make sure everybody knows before we... We signed off today. Did we, miss, did we miss anything or you want to make sure, I want to make sure you hear me say this. <laughs> I want to make sure that you hear me say that you are worthy and you are everything and you are unique and you are wonderful and it doesn't matter what other people think of you. It really doesn't. That's their problem. It doesn't change your life, whether they like you, they don't like you, whatever. Don't get invested into other people's crap. (laughs) I like that. Don't get invested into other people's crap. That's a great thing. So how can people connect with you? Are you on the socials if they want to have you, you know, help them with their trauma in their life or they're dealing with some sort of diagnosis to help them stop being that and to own being who they are? Everything is on our website, which is www.holisticnaturalhealth.com.au. Don't forget the AU. We are based in Australia, and it's holistic with a W. And there you'll find links to all of our socials. You'll find a link to our podcast. You'll find links to our services. Uh, We do trade in um, 
cash. We do trade in silver and gold. We also uh, trade in a TPR crypto. So, you know, we can help you a number of ways. So, uh, yeah, jump onto there. All our programs are there. The thing that you are looking for is called our root cause analysis. That is our complimentary call around the world. So we do use Zoom and uh, we're not just here for the Aussies. We're here for everyone. <laughs> and from there, you'll speak to me. I'll go through your form. It's a very long form and I'll find what the root cause is. If you need trauma work, obviously, then that's what I will suggest. If you need functional medicine work, that's what I'll suggest. And if we need to refer you to another practitioner, then that's what I'll suggest. We do have a few practitioners in our group and we all specialize in different areas. So, you know, it's really important to know that we're not just going to sell you a program because it's a sale. We're only going to offer you a program if it's right for you. And there are plenty of people that we do turn away. Um, you know, it's not right for them at the time and that's okay too. Wow. Thank you for that. And thank you for that little thing at the end. It's so important for people to know that you care about them. Yeah. Because there are many out there that are after just the sale. And I can hear it in your heart and having spoken with you that I, I will vouch for her that she is genuine in her heart. She really does want to help you. So this is up your alley with what you want, or you even just, you think it might be, then reach out to Magic and do that root cause analysis and let her help you because only you can change your life. No one can do it for you. Magic can help, but you have to do the work. We said that at the beginning and I'll say it again. And I say it all the time. And I do that because I love you. I'm that lady on the internet who loves you. And so until next time, I love you. Thank you for being with us today, Magic. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Victoria Souls Podcast. You matter and you are loved. We'd love to connect with you further. So please visit us at daniellebernock.com and grab a copy of Danielle's free audiobook. And remember, only you can change your life. No one can do it for you. <laughs>